Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Now, how many sang that hymn for the very first time? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. We don't sing it very much, do we? <laughs> well, it was written by a very great man. His name was A.P. Gibbs. He was a twin. His brother Edwin led him to the Lord in South Africa where they lived. And some years later, he went to Moody Bible Institute and he became a great children's worker, like David Stifler, <laughs> among, the, among the, the, the assemblies. And he was having a series of meeting in Montreal, Quebec, and uh, he finished that and he was traveling to Hamilton, Ontario to have another series. They say he lived out of a suitcase <laughs> and uh, on the way he had an automobile accident in 1967 and he was ushered into the Lord's presence. Some of you might have known about him or met him, I don't know, but uh, he, was a, he was one of our teachers at Emmaus Bible School and uh, he taught the course of, on homiletics it became an Emmaus Bible School correspondence course, Preach the Word. Some of you may have studied it. And uh, I only remember one lesson <laughs> of all of his lectures on homiletics, how to prepare and preach the Word of God. <clears throat> and the chapter I remember was, what he was talking about was don't use highfalutin words that people don't understand. Just use common words, like the Lord Jesus talked about seeds and trees and birds and so forth. Just use common words that people understand. And he said, for instance, I wonder if you would recognize this poem in highfalutin language. And it goes like this. Scintillate, scintillate, globule vulvific. Fain would I fathom thy nature specific, loftily poised in the ether capacious, strongly resembling a gem carbonaceous. Now you know that poem, right? What is it? Twinkle, twinkle, little star, right? <laughs> but in highfalutin language, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Scintillate, scintillate, globule epithic, like a diamond in the sky like a gem carbonaceous. Well, I ask your apologies for not speaking on the last chapter of Hebrews, <laughs> because I had this message prepared before I got the assignment. <laughs> so I'd like us to turn to the passage of scripture that inspired that hymn, Lord, Our Teacher Be. In Luke chapter 24, and while you're looking up that up, I'm going to sit down because I'm going to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who after he read the scriptures in Nazareth, he gave the role back to the minister, and what did he do? He sat down. So I'm going to sit down because my legs get a little shaky when I stand too long. Okay. So Luke chapter 24, we're going to read... Uh, Sir Cecil's going to read for us from verse 13 to verse 24. This is the first part of it. It has three parts. 
There are so many passages of scripture that have three parts. Right from the very words of God in Genesis 1, the creation took place in three parts. Three days the Lord made certain things, the light, the water, the land, and the second three days he filled those places. And he is the triune God as well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, this is a, one of those other stories that has three parts to it. The first part is that the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus did not recognize the stranger that drew near to speak with them. And he was the Christ, unrecognized, unknown. And the second part of the story is the Christ who explained, interpreted the scripture. Christ explained, Christ interpreted. And the third part is Christ revealed. <laughs> so we have three parts to the story that we're going to consider. And I'd like to relate our lives to those three parts, and my life to those three parts, and tell a little bit about how the Lord has led in my life. So let's read the first part, Cecil. Uh, Luke chapter 24, in verses 13 to 24. <clears throat> now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have, one with another as you walk, and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleophas answered and said to him, You are the only stranger in Jerusalem, are you? And you have not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, the things which concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find this body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. But him they did not see. What a wonderful story. Only Luke tells us this story of the walk to Emmaus. Emmaus was about eight or 10 miles from Jerusalem. Actually, it was a little higher in elevation than Jerusalem, and I understand King Herod had an aqueduct built to bring water from Emmaus to Jerusalem. So it was quite a little walk, and uh, they had left Jerusalem. They had been there, and they were there on Easter Sunday, as we call it, 
uh, but they did not see the Lord. They heard some rumors that some women had seen him, but who's going to believe women, right? <laughs> and, uh, but him they saw not. They did not know him. And when this stranger knew, drew near to them to walk with him along the, them along the way, they did not recognize that it was Jesus. Of course, the Lord withheld his person from them. So they did not recognize him. And all that time that he was walking with them, they did not know it was Jesus. Now, folks, I believe there's three, there's three times in our lives, too. And the first time is when we don't recognize that Jesus, the Lord, was working in our lives to bring us to faith and salvation. That may have been a few years, that may have been 20, 30 years, it may have been 50 or 60 years before you came to recognize that Jesus is the savior of your soul. Well, in my case, it took a few years. My parents lived in the city of Buffalo, New York, and my grandfather and my great-grandfather had come from Germany and settled in Buffalo, but they built a little cabin out in the country, south of Hamburg, north of Hamburg and south of Blaisdell. Some of you have been around there. <clears throat> and they built that cabin to go hunting in the woods up there between the two farms that were there. And when I was six years old, my dad decided to move out of the city of Buffalo and to build a house on one of those lots that his father had. And so when I was six years old, uh, and Bob, my brother Bob, was four and a half, <clears throat> we left the city and we lived in that little cottage for a year. <laughs> and dad and my grandfather and his brothers were, helped him to build the house. So that was during the war years, and uh, they weren't given gas except to get to work and back. And Saturday and Sunday were the only two days they had to build a house. So our neighbor, a girl that lived just across the field, the daughter of one of the farmers, she invited us to Sunday school. So my mom and dad let us go to Sunday school with Irma Kern and her father, George Kern. And we started to go to Sunday school at Blaisdell Gospel Chapel, about a few miles away. Well, one of the elders' wives, Liza Palmer, she was a teacher. And we had a little room in the basement area of the chapel. It was just a little chapel then. It wasn't like it is now. And down in that basement, there were two little rooms. And they were Sunday school rooms. And I don't know what, how old I was, but one of the lessons she was teaching was about prayer. And she had a flannel graph stand there, and there was the Lord in Gethsemane and praying. And she had a poster on the door. And as you come in, you saw the poster. And the poster was divided from corner to corner. And in the upper triangle was a fist coming down hard on this table and sparks flying off of it. And above the fist it said, my will. And in the lower triangle, there was another hand, but it was open. 
and it had a nail through it, and there were drops of blood falling from it. And under that hand it said, what? Thy will. And you know, folks, that Sunday school lesson, and there were probably hundreds of Sunday school lessons, that Sunday school lesson has stuck in my mind ever since that time. Not my will, but thine be done. <clears throat> and I think that all of you have had experiences with the word of God speaking directly to your hearts, a message of direction from the word of God. And that began a communication between the Lord and myself even before I knew who the Lord was. For instance, we lived quite a ways from the road, maybe 30 yards, 50 yards, and we had to take the garbage pail out to the road and it didn't have wheels on it in those years like it does today. And uh, one day my mother said to me, Carl, it's time to take the garbage out to the road for the, garbage, for the truck to pick up the garbage. And I said, no, I'm not gonna do it. And I ran up the, to the stairs to my room upstairs. I slammed the door, I threw myself on the bed. I grabbed my Bible that was there next to the bed and it opened to Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. <laughs> really? Was that a word from God? <laughs> so I had to go downstairs and apologize to my mother and what? Take the garbage off. <laughs> so from a very early age, the word of God meant something to me. It was, a, it was living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, as it says in Hebrews. Well, those were early years and uh, once in a while, we'd go into Buffalo to my mom and dad's church, which is, was a Protestant church, and where I was baptized as a baby, just like Catholics are baptized as babies. And then in the process of growing up in the church, you had to be confirmed about 12 or 14 years of age, and then become a member of the church. <clears throat> so during, but during those years, uh, we attended Blaisdell Gospel Chapel. And now we arrive at the second part of the story. <laughs> Christ explained or Christ interpreted. And that stranger, as he had asked the two travelers to Emmaus, Cleopas and probably his wife, why are you so sad as you're walking along and are sad? And they told him. And then the Lord talked to them. So. Lisa, would you read the next three verses, please? Verses 25, 26, and 27. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself was the original theme of Emmaus Bible School. And they taught the scriptures in a wonderful way. <clears throat> the Lord began to explain, comprehend, interpret 
the scriptures to them. What a Bible study that was, right? Here they're walking eight miles up to Emmaus, and uh, it must have taken a couple hours. And what did he tell them? We're not told what he told them. But let's just imagine we were in that Bible study, <laughs> and uh, we were listening to the Lord open the scriptures. And the more he explained the scriptures to them, the more their heart burned within them. They became so thrilled with the Bible study that he was giving them. And I kind of remember, I think he started at Genesis chapter 3 and explained the fact that God told the serpent he would put enmity between the devil and the Lord. And the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head and the serpent would crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise the seed of the woman. The first prophecy about the Christ. And then I kind of think he told them the story of Abraham and Isaac. You think that? One of the most wonderful stories in the book of Genesis and the whole Bible, when God sent Abraham to Mount Moriah, Calvary, years later, to offer his son, his only son, his beloved son, to God as a sacrifice. And of course, in the very moment that Abraham was going to slay his son on that altar, the Lord stopped him and he said, Lay not thine hand upon the land. Now I know that you love me because you have not withheld your only son from me. Centuries later, Paul wrote in the book of Romans, as you well know, God did not withhold his only son from us. Did the Lord explain that to the disciples? I kind of think he did. And then I'm sure he went to Exodus and told the story about the Exodus, about the lamb whose blood was put on the doorpost of the house. And the angel of death could not enter that house because they were saved by the blood of the, the lamb. And did he explain the fact that he was the lamb of God? I don't know. And then he went to the book of Leviticus, maybe. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And I think the key verse in the book of Leviticus is chapter 17 and verse 11, I think it is. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. What a prophetic verse about Calvary. When the Lord Jesus Christ willingly gave his life, shed his lifeblood, to wash away our sins and to forgive us of all of our transgressions. The Lord said in John chapter 10, no man takes it from me. I lay it down of my life. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Yes, his blood was shed and after he died, after he dismissed his spirit to his Father, saying, Father, in thy hands I commend my spirit the Roman soldiers pierced his side and blood and water gushed forth. That was the life that was given for us. And then maybe he went to the book of Numbers and he told the story about the snakes, that serpents that bit the people and they, they cried to the Lord and the Lord told Moses to make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole like a cross and those who looked on it would be healed. 
And centuries later, the Lord said to Nicodemus that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man himself be lifted up that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then I'm sure he went to the book of Deuteronomy, which he loved and he quoted to Satan in the wilderness. And that great promise given twice in the 18th chapter, 1815 and 1818, the Lord God will raise up a prophet like you from among your brethren, him they shall obey. And I'm sure he went on to other prophets. Surely he explained to them bit by bit Isaiah chapter 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. What a Bible study that must have been. <laughs> what a talk it must have been. When Jesus opened the scriptures. Now I'm sure that in many of our lives there was a time when we were listening to the word of God in Sunday school or on the radio or wherever, and maybe we listened for years. But people were trying to explain to us, ex interpret to us. And at Blaisdell Chapel, the men there, Rich Palmer and Ed Palmer and, and Ray Stifler and Mr. Tim, they explained the Bible to us. But I listened to those explanations, those messages, and I still was not saved. It was a birthday today. They used to sing that little song. <clears throat> a happy birthday to you, a happy birthday to you. May you feel Jesus near every day of the year. A happy birthday to you, a happy birthday to you, and the best year you've ever had. You know that one? Anyway, they got three happy birthday songs at Blaisdell. And they would talk about being born again. And I really didn't understand. I listened to the Bible lessons, but I really didn't understand what it meant to be born again. <clears throat> because my folks were members of that Protestant church in, in Buffalo, Trinity Evangelical and Reformed Church, and I had been baptized as a baby. And after my last year in grade school, in those years, uh, grade school was eight years, right? Now it's six years, I think. And then there's middle school, and then there's high school. <laughs> but anyway, in those years, there was eight years of grade school, and then four years of high school, right? So I was in my last year of grade school, in eighth grade. And my dad said, now, Carl, it's time for you to be confirmed in our church. Oh, no. I had been going to Blaisdell Sunday School for eight years, and I knew what it, the message of salvation and, and everything, and I did not want to be confirmed in my dad's church. And I remember praying to the Lord, oh, Lord, get me out of this. Don't let me be confirmed in that church. And the, the confirmation was always on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday. And I prayed, Lord, get me out of this. Saturday, I woke up with a fever and a headache and vomiting and happy as a lark. And I'm not going to be able to be confirmed. Nothing doing. My dad wrapped me up in a blanket, put me in the car, and off we went to Buffalo. 
And where was Carl Lehman sitting? The boys were sitting over here in their nice blue shirts and, and suits and ties, and the girls were sitting over here in their white dresses. And where was I sitting? In a little room off the altar with a basin in my lap, an ice pack on my head, my dad sitting next to me, and sick as a dog. But when the minister called my name, I had to go up and kneel in front of him. He put his empty hands on my empty head, and he confirmed me, a confirmed sinner. Well, I knew that that did not save me. I had been in Blaisdell Sunday School for eight years, and I knew that that did not save me, and I did not want to be the members of my dad's church. Well, let's go to the last part of the story. The last part of the story is from Luke chapter 24, and starting from verse 28 to 31. Right? Okay, she's. <laughs> then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them, and now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, and their eyes were then opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. The Christ revealed. So we've seen the Christ unknown or un unknown, the Christ explained or interpreted, and then they arrived at Emmaus. They arrived at the house of these two disciples, and Jesus kept walking on, like he'd go past the house and go on his way. They still did not know it was Jesus. <laughs> but as he got to the house, the two disciples said, said, look, it's, it's getting late. Why don't you come in and stay with us? And so when he went in, they prepared a little meal for him, and he, they gave him a loaf of bread. And I think when he, he gave, it says he gave thanks. Isn't that interesting? He gave thanks for the bread. And we also have that custom, don't we? We give thanks at a mealtime and here at the Lord's Supper. We give thanks before we break the bread. And when he broke the bread, I'm sure he offered it to both of them. And when they took it out of his hands, what do you think they saw? I think they saw the nail prints, the wounds in his hands. And as they looked up to see him, they recognized him and he vanished out of their sight. Wow, were they surprised. And they said, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and when he interpreted to us the scriptures, and they turned around and walked those eight miles back to Jerusalem, and when they went into the room where the disciples were, the apostles told them, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. <laughs> and then they told their story, how the Lord appeared to them on the way to Emmaus. What a wonderful story. I'm sure you remember the moment, the time that Christ was revealed to you as well. It may have been a message right here in the chapel, right in this room. It may have been a tract you got, or a radio message, or a TV message. But I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, remember the time when Christ 
was revealed to you and you received him as your Lord and Savior. Remember that? Amen? Amen. 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 Well, one night we were having dinner, we were sitting at our dining room table and the telephone rang. And it was David Seifler, my Sunday school classmate. I think he was about a year older than I was. And David said, Carl, could you come to the meeting tonight? It was our Thursday night Bible study and we're having a special missionaries speaker. His mother was the first missionary that went from our chapel, Blaisdell Gospel Chapel, out to Angola, Africa, and there married a missionary from England, Fred Olford, and one of their children was Stephen Olford. I'm sure that some of you have heard about Stephen Olford. He was educated in England. He became a very well-known Bible teacher and preacher in England, and Wheaton College out in Illinois invited him to be their semester spiritual week emphasis speaker as they began the school year in September. Well, it was about the middle of August, and on his way out to Illinois, uh, Stephen wanted to stop off and meet the people of the assembly from which his mother had been a missionary to Africa, to Angola. And so they arranged to have a meeting on Thursday night. And people called everybody and the place was full, the chapel was full on a Thursday night. Never happened before. <laughs> but anyway, people called their friends and loved ones and family and the place was full. And our, us kids were sitting down here in the front. In those years, the kids sat at the front, they didn't sit at the back changing notes or pictures, you know, they sat at the front. <laughs> and I was down there with them in the front. And Stephen gave his testimony. He gave a message in his testimony. And at the end of his testimony, he said, now, if there's anybody here, any of you have never received the Lord as your Savior, you've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to stand up while we're singing this last hymn. And he led us in the hymn that you all know, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. I think it has four verses. And while we were singing those four verses, one and another began to stand up. And that night, 14 people received the Lord as their Savior. And I was among them. <laughs> I, could, I knew that I had not been saved yet. And I needed to receive the Lord in my life. And that night, Christ was revealed to me through that message and testimony. And that night I received him as my Lord and Savior. Now if there's somebody here that has not yet received Christ, remember, the Lord is working in your life even before you knew him. Those two disciples didn't know that stranger was Jesus. <laughs> and then over the years, maybe you've heard the Bible taught by many different people, and, but you've never understood about the new birth and how to be saved. Even though the scriptures were exposed, explained and interpreted, and maybe it took a while. And maybe someone, someone here has still never received the Lord as their savior. But maybe this morning Christ is revealed unto you. And now you know what it means to be born again by the word of God and the spirit of God and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. So while we pray, 
I just ask you to open your heart to the Lord and then tell somebody about it afterwards that you have received the Lord today as your Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you this morning for being able to be here once again at Northgate. And thank you, Lord, for the assembly and their help and sacrifice toward us in Columbia with the Emmaus work. And I pray, Lord, that you will just bless each and every one as they continue to go on and walk with the Lord and witness for him. And if there's anyone who has not received the Lord Jesus as their Savior, that he's still unknown to them, even though they've heard the word of God maybe many times, but they've never opened their heart and received the Savior as their Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, that even at this moment while we're praying, they might open their hearts to Christ and receive the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus Christ offers and be born again of the Spirit of God and become a child of the living God. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be here once again with the believers here at Northgate and for their faithfulness in the work there with us in Columbia. Thank you, Father, in our Savior's precious name. Amen.